Welcome to Way Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. Yeah, so I have the privilege this morning of uh, introducing us to our next sermon series. So we just finished our series on James, went expositionally through that, took several weeks, um, and we just saw such great fruit from that. And now we're going to be diving into our Easter series, which is just this week and the next two weeks to follow. And so I'll be doing an introduction on Jesus' life this morning, um, from his birth to the time he entered Jerusalem. And then Brandon's going to take over from there, talk about Palm Sunday next week. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll really look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, And so one thing that I think is kind of interesting is we actually have on Easter Sunday, the trend is that the church has its largest number of attendants, um, which is, I don't know, kind of surprising to me um, that people feel more obligated or more aware of who Jesus is around the season of Easter. And so we see really large numbers of people coming to to churches on that Sunday. We see a lot of people coming to worship and to praise God. Um, And oftentimes we'll see people waving palm branches. Um, I know that's something I did in church when I was growing up. Um, And it was really easy to see this as a pattern of routine instead of actually examining why are we doing this? What are we celebrating on Easter Sunday? And so really we're going to dive into this heart of what it means to actually celebrate Easter um, because of the work Jesus did on the cross. Um, So we're not just remembering who Jesus was, but we're celebrating and really looking at this enduring work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf and this everlasting life that Jesus has come to give us. So this isn't just something that we're looking back on, but this is work that we get to, you know, take part of today, Jesus' presence in our lives today, um, and really get to look at why Jesus did that um, and the heart he has and really the means by which he did it. And so that's what we're celebrating in this Easter season here. Um, And so, yeah, over the next three weeks, we'll begin this week and we'll finish in two weeks on Easter Sunday. And so really quickly, um, this message is not going to look quite as similar to the the messages y'all have seen before. Usually we'll go through expositionally. So we'll take a chunk of verses, right, just kind of tracing through one book of the Bible. So last time we did that with James and we just finished that. This is gonna be more of a topical message this morning. So we're looking at Jesus's life and we're gonna pick verses primarily through the gospels and uh, actually a lot of prophecies from Isaiah this morning, Um, but we don't have one main passage. Um, And so my outline this morning, we're talking about the Christ. Um, So we're really gonna look at who the Christ is and uh, four main points we're gonna trace through that and through Jesus's life. Um, We're gonna look at a Messiah foretold Um, Then we'll trail several years forward to Christ being born. Then we're going to look at Jesus' ministry. And finally, we'll look at Jesus' mission, um, which I've called um, salvation through death. Um, And so if y'all will pray with me before we jump into the word and jump into the message this morning, that'd be great. Dear Lord, you are so good. Um, It's such a gift that we, Lord, have the opportunity to gather this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of everyone here. Um, And Lord, just reveal, Lord, your design for, Lord, a savior in our lives, our need for you. Um, And Lord, just let us see how sweet that is and let us experience the goodness of your grace. Lord, as we look to you to redeem us from our brokenness um, back into the, the perfect beauty of your design. 
Um, Lord, please just uh, give us ears to listen and, and hearts to seek you. You're so good, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to start off just looking at that first point, Messiah foretold. And oftentimes we use this name with Jesus. We call him Jesus our Messiah. I think it's really important that we know what Messiah means. So it actually translates to the anointed one. Um, and so when we're looking for a Messiah, we're looking for one anointed by God to do something, right? Um, and so we often call Jesus our Messiah. He's anointed by God and anointed by God to do what? Um, and so as we read into Jesus' life and what Jesus comes to do, he's anointed by God to redeem his people. And so we're going to look, we're going to trace what's called the meta narrative of Scripture. And so this is creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. So we start with God's design and creation. And we, um, we'll look into very early on in Genesis how man trails away from this design. Man sins against God, right? And this introduces brokenness and the fall into our world, right? And so now we're living in broken bodies and a broken creation. And then what we're going to see is that God has promised a Messiah for our redemption and then our total restoration at the end of all things, right? So we're going to jump all the way back to Genesis 3 this morning. Um, and again, so Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 detail this account of God's creation. And then Genesis 3, God gives man a command. Um, and we see that man sins against God, disobeys his commandment. Um, and this introduces death and sin into our own lives and into creation itself. And so God pronounces this curse as kind of a, a discipline and a punishment to, to man. And we'll read Genesis 3:19. It says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this is really unfortunate, right? God set this beautiful design. He's put man in the garden, and then man sins against God, and it introduces that man will return to dust. And so we see this concept of death being introduced into our lives. Um, and this really begins the fall and our need for a Messiah, a Savior, somebody to redeem us back to right relationship with God. Um, and also what, what we, I think is kind of confusing sometimes is we see that Adam sinned, and so it makes sense that Adam would have that curse. Um, but this doesn't apply just individually to Adam. We read in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so under this headship of Adam's sin, being born of man, we are all sinful, and we all do fall short, right? Um, and then in Romans 6.23, we see that the wages of sin is death. Um, and so this is a need we have, is to be redeemed and to be saved from death. And God, from the moment of our fall, he also reveals in this same chapter his design to redeem us. And so what we're going to read in Genesis 3.15, um, we just read God's curse on man. God also pronounces a curse against the, the serpent. And the serpent is kind of this figure of, of evil and sin, of somebody who is essentially deceiving us and manipulating us to not believe the full truth about God and his love. And so we believe that God's holding out on us. Um, and so God pronounces a curse to this serpent that's manipulated man and really allowed him to, to stray from the truth of who God is. And what God says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so already we have this 
this description and this detailed design that God is going to, through the offspring of the woman, send a redeemer, somebody to crush the head of the serpent and to conquer sin and death on our behalf. Um, and so this is good news. As we look at this meta-narrative of scripture, we see that man has fallen, right? And where our redeemer comes in is just before that. Where the Messiah comes in is for our redemption. Um, and so we see two details about this Messiah that I want to trace through um, at least one more prophecy. But um, in this verse, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so two things we learn is that our Messiah is one. He's going to bruise the head of sin. So he's going to conquer sin and death. Right. And two, it's going to bruise his heel. So the Messiah is going to be wounded because of the work he's doing. Right. And so we're going to see those two things really traced in another messianic prophecy um, in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Um, and I think this is one of the, the better-known passages about who the Messiah will be um, and about ultimately what Jesus did for us. And so we'll read in these verses. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Really want to focus in on that, that last sentence here. With his wounds, we are healed. Now we have both fulfilled these things that God pronounced to the serpent in Genesis 3, that he will be wounded. And by him, we will be healed. And this healing is what it looks like when Jesus is suffering and conquering death, or he's suffering essentially the, the punishment that was brought on by our sin. So he's suffering death on our account for our own healing. And we see that also in this verse, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And so we're looking for a Messiah who is ultimately gonna suffer the consequences of the things that, that we have done in the ways that man has fallen short. And this is why it's important actually that by God's design, this Messiah will be wounded um, and we see that prophesied, too. Um, and we see both of these fulfilled by what Jesus does on the cross. He's wounded in that he, he dies on the cross for our sin. And we are healed because he's raised us back to life with himself. And so when Jesus is resurrected, we know he's victorious and he's accomplished this by defeating sin, right? Um, and these are, these are the, the prophecies, really, of what this Messiah will look like. And then we're going to fast forward several, several years, and look at our second point here, that Christ is born. Um, and really quickly, I did want to, I guess, um, explain this a little bit. So we have this word Messiah, and we also have this word Christ. And these actually both translate to the anointed one. One is from Hebrew, and the other is actually from the Greek. But where the New Testament uses Christ, we almost substitute that word Messiah in. So the Christ being born is the Messiah, essentially coming onto the scene. Um, and so what we have is Israel kind of waiting and expecting a Messiah to be born, and then Christ is born. And it's, it goes kind of against what some of Israel was expecting because Christ was born so humbly. Um, there's another prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so a lot of Israel is looking for a Messiah who's just going to be a ruler over nations, um, and he's going to be mighty and exalted as God, right? 
Um, and so a lot of people weren't looking for somebody to be born in the circumstances Jesus was born in. Um, and this is really what makes Jesus' birth such a miracle and his grace so obtainable, is that Jesus, Jesus was born in, in humility, in loneliness, um, because he, he has compassion, right? And we see this also prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Really quick, if you don't know what Emmanuel means, it means God with us. And so when Jesus is born, he's fully God and he's also fully human. And this is the condition we need for God to be with us in the midst of our, our sin in the world. Um, and so it's such a miracle that Jesus was born. Um, and it's not just a miracle that he was born of a virgin that we would you know, kind of take hold that like this could only be from God, but it's actually essential to God's design for who our Messiah, who our Savior is gonna be, that Jesus was born according to these circumstances um, there's a pretty famous theologian who I think does a great job of making this distinction. His name is Charles Spurgeon. Um, and I'm going to read a quote from his here. It says, There was no other way of his being born, for had he been born of a sinful father, how should he have possessed a sinless nature? He is born of a woman that he might be human, but not by man that he might not be sinful. And so what we see here is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So Romans 3.23, we learn that we are all sinful born of man, but Jesus being born by woman and by God is fully human. He doesn't inherit this, this sinful nature that those born under Adam do, um, but instead he's this sinless child of God, the son of God, because he's fully God and he's fully human. And this makes him the perfect candidate to be our Messiah, to save us from our sin, because he himself is not sinful, right? And so this is essential to God's design um, and we needed this miracle to have somebody to save us from our own transgressions. Um, and so now we have Jesus being born, this perfect candidate to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. And we're going to see some of the things he actually does during his ministry while he's alive. Um, his ministry actually only lasted three years from the time he was baptized in the Jordan River to the time he died on the cross. Um, and during this time, I think there are three main things that we can observe from what he did. Um, and for that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses, or verse 35. And here we read in Matthew, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, so three main things Jesus did in his ministry. He taught, he healed, and he proclaimed the gospel. And so I want to really focus on each of those. Um, primarily, Jesus proclaiming the gospel, and, and we'll see why in a minute. But I want to start with Jesus' teaching. Um, so Jesus, he's teaching in synagogues, and most likely he's teaching about the law, right? And God's heart behind the law, and a lot of misconceptions that the people in his day had about the law and about God's character because of their misunderstandings of what the law was. Um, and so if y'all have ever read through the Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't, I would highly encourage you to. Um, read Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's such a beautiful, beautiful section of scripture. But Jesus is clarifying that you have heard it said such and such, right? All of these misconceptions about the law. And then he's saying, but I tell you, and he's revealing God's true heart and intention behind the law for how we ought to live as members of his kingdom. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching us how we ought to live because of who God is. He's teaching about who God the Father is, and he's teaching about the Son of God. Um, 
And we'll see, he, I'm sure he also taught a little bit about his, his gospel, but we're going to touch mostly on that and what it looks like that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God. Um, but the second point here, Jesus was also healing. In that verse in Matthew, it says he was healing every disease and every affliction. We're also going to look at an account of one of Jesus' miracles, his healing in Luke. Um, so we'll flip to Luke chapter 5. 17 through 26. Um, and this is going to be a longer section of scripture, so I'd encourage you all to, to read along if you'd like. But this is where Jesus does one of his miracles. He heals a paralytic, and he uses the opportunity to teach about who he is as the Son of God, the authority he has over sin. Um, and so it kind of really wraps up all of these three ideas that he's teaching, that he's healing, and that he's proclaiming the gospel. And so let me read from, from that section of scripture, Luke 5, 17. It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, so this here is an account. It's just... I think a testament to this miraculous power that Jesus had to heal people. Um, and it's also a testament to the authority Jesus has as a son of God to heal people and to forgive their sins. So there's a physical healing that ultimately points to the spiritual healing that Jesus is coming to give, right? And so Jesus is giving forgiveness. He's offering that. Um, and it's on account of these men's faith that he decides to forgive their sins. Before this man even asks him to be healed, they're just lowered through the tiles, and it says Jesus saw their faith, and Jesus was prompted in that to forgive him his sins. Um, and so even in Jesus' healing, we see that this isn't an end to just be physically well, but it's a sign of what God is doing spiritually in this man's life. He's healing him, forgiving him of sin, and he's using this to teach the crowds around him that he is the Son of God. He has the ability to conquer sin and death on our behalf. And so this is so important to look into that when we see Jesus healing, this ultimately points to his desire to heal us spiritually um, and the love he has for us in that. All right, and last point, we're going to look at Jesus' proclaiming the gospel of God, right? Um, so this is the last point of, of ministry we saw in that verse in Matthew is that Jesus has come to proclaim the gospel. And um, actually in Mark chapter 1, um, verses 38 through, or 35 through 39, I don't have those verses pulled up, 
but Jesus is presented kind of with an opportunity to either stay in this really small area of Galilee where crowds have gathered to him to be healed. Um, and Jesus wakes up early in the morning. He goes and prays to the Father. Um, and his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Where have you been? Um, and Jesus decides that he's going to go to other sections of Galilee besides where the crowds are gathered to be healed because he's going to proclaim the gospel. And he says, that's what I've come to do. So Jesus' main priority in coming and in his ministry isn't just to heal, but to proclaim the gospel to all of the areas around him. Um, and so I think that's why it's so important that we trace that even in Jesus' teaching and in his healing, there's a message for the gospel, right? And um, we'll read what this, this gospel message is in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Here Mark writes, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We see just two calls to action right here, to repent and to believe in the gospel. And so this might be, you know, kind of, um, I think, contrary to what some of the scribes and Pharisees were doing, like trying to work out their own salvation by, by righteousness and by obedience to the law. And Jesus is telling them to repent and to believe in the gospel. And so what we're believing is that Jesus' grace is enough for us, just like we were singing in that worship song this morning. And we have really access to that grace by the faith that Jesus has given us, right? Um, and really quickly, I wanted to just define some of these words. Repentance um, is this act of turning. Um, and it's us turning away ultimately from our sins, but also turning towards the life that God is giving us. Um, so it's not just a turning away something. It's turning towards something better, right? And so we're seeking this life that God is seeking to abundantly provide us. And that's what this repentance is. And the other idea, repentance and belief. Um, and we often use faith as synonymous with belief. Um, belief in the gospel. Faith that Jesus was sufficient. Um, and so I think a lot of belief really is just this understanding of what God's design is. Belief that Jesus is doing the work he said, or has done the work that he's put to do. And faith is that that work is enough for us. Um, and then really quickly, if you haven't heard the gospel defined, it's the good news. And so the good news of God is that we can put our faith in Jesus and that his righteousness is enough for us where our righteousness falls short, right? Um, and so Jesus is seeking ultimately to remove us from our, our sin, remove our sin from us, and also to provide us abundant life. And we'll see that manifest well in Jesus' mission. Um, but one verse I wanted to go back to is that verse in Matthew chapter 9, 35, and we're going to look at 36 as well this time. Again, those verses are, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so it's important that we not just observe what Jesus has done, but observe the heart that Jesus has and God's own heart behind all of these things that Jesus has done in his ministry. We see that Jesus' sheep are harassed and helpless, and this moves Jesus to compassion, right? And this compassion is, it's still an immutable characteristic of God, right? This compassion is eternal. It's not conditional to our own sinfulness, but it's just conditional to God's own character. 
And God is faithful. God is unchanging. And so this compassion is just eternal characteristic of who God is. But it's so important that we know that Jesus' response to our sin isn't just anger. It is compassion. Jesus wants to free us from this lostness and this enslavement to sin that we have. And so this is what compels Jesus ultimately to, to minister and to die on the cross for our sake is this compassion that he has in his heart. And so we're going to really look quickly, actually not really quickly, we're going to look at Jesus' mission. <laughs> this last point I have here is Jesus' mission, um, salvation through death, right? Um, and so the first point I wanted to look at is Jesus comes to save us from our sin. And we're going to look at a cross-reference for that in Matthew 1, verse 21. Here an angel is speaking to Joseph, who's a little doubtful about Jesus being conceived, you know, by a virgin who was ultimately going to be his wife, right? And so I think Joseph is, is rightfully, or maybe understandably, skeptical about what's happening. Um, and so God meets him there and, and sends an angel to just tell him this message that this baby is from God, right? And what the angel says here, she's talking to Joseph, says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is very early on in the Gospel of Matthew, right? We see that Jesus' mission as Messiah, as a Christ, is to save his people from their sins. Um, And so that's ultimately why Jesus is going to to die on the cross, right? Is because we're enslaved by sin, but Jesus is going to be righteous on our behalf. And by this, this righteousness and this perfect life that Jesus lives, He's conquering sin and death for us. So we're no longer going to be enslaved by sin because of the faith that we can put in Jesus. Um, but it doesn't just stop there. Um, Jesus didn't just die for our sin. He was also raised back to life. Um, and another couple verses I wanted to look at are in John, that Jesus came to give us life, right? John 10.10 John 10 says, The thief came, comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is coming first to to free us from our sin, but also to provide us abundant life, right? And so this is the idea that in our repentance, we're not just turning away from sin, we're turning towards something even greater, which is abundant life in Jesus. Um, So Jesus comes not just to deal with our sin, but also to provide eternal life for us. Um, We're also gonna read this uh, this verse. This might be the most famous verse in the Bible. It's John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, this is Jesus' mission. God sends Jesus that we can believe and put our faith in him and have eternal life. And this is ultimately why Jesus' mission is um, our salvation through his death, right? Um, And so we see back in Genesis 3, right, that our Messiah is going to be wounded. Um, We see that traced through Isaiah. And we're going to see Jesus even prophesy his own death. So Jesus knows his design as, a, as our Messiah, this design that God's given. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And Jesus predicts his death a total of three times in the Gospels. Um, and here he's, um, he's telling his disciples. I'll just read the verses. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, 
this shall never happen to you. Okay, pause right here. So we have Peter going as far as to um, not understand what the Lord is saying, but to actually tell him he's wrong. Peter goes and rebukes the Lord. I think this is really sourced in this other prophecy we had about who this Messiah is going to be. In chapter, or Isaiah 9, 6, it says the government shall be on his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what Peter has put his hopes in, that Jesus will reign as exalted king and the government around him, and maybe even like conquer the government of Rome and just raise his people up in that way. So Peter has this idea that Jesus is going to be a mighty king in the way that we predict like that kings will look. Um, and so maybe he's looking for another King David, right? He's looking for somebody to just make Israel and Jerusalem prosperous. Um, and Jesus responds. Jesus says, or it says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I think this is so revealing why we ought to have faith, y'all. As um, Peter is looking for this sign of who God's going to be based on Peter's own expectations. But what we see is that God has something far more valuable and eternal planned than what Peter could, could imagine, right? And so where Peter wants to put his faith and his hope and seeing things around him, God is exhorting us to have faith ultimately in the promises and the character of God, right? And so that's why it's so important that we, um, you know, we look towards the pattern of God's faithfulness and his character rather than just towards our circumstances, our suffering, and the things around us that would, that would choke the faith we have. Again, back in Genesis 3.15, we saw that the Messiah will be wounded. Um, and Jesus has told us to, three separate times in the gospel, Jesus predicted his own death. And we see that this isn't, this isn't a fault. This is out of God's perfect design um, that our Messiah would, would die on account of the penalty that we owed. Um, and that is good news and God's grace for us that we don't have to pay that penalty. Um, and so ultimately, Jesus has come to be this Messiah, um, to suffer on account of our sins, to remove that sin from us, and also to provide us this eternal life. Um, and it's not exactly what we're expecting. It's not in the, the scene reality of the world around us, but something that we know by faith God is, is doing, by his character and by the, the faithfulness he has in his promises. Um, in one verse, I, I definitely used this last month, um, it's still scripture. It's very good. <laughs> uh, it's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, Now faces the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What's really important is that we're not putting our faith and our hope in what's seen around us, but being assured and convicted of the truth of who Jesus is and the work that he's done. And that we trust that that grace and that atoning sacrifice that Jesus had on the cross was sufficient payment for the penalty we owed and also to bring us back to eternal life with God and right relationship with God. I don't think the air show is still happening, is it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll try to talk louder than the planes, I guess, but <laughs> ultimately what we have in this whole story of scripture is that a Messiah has been prophesied and foretold. Um, God has a design for this and it's been revealed as early as the fall is introduced. Um, and then Christ is born 
born of a virgin, right? And he's fully God and fully man. He's a perfect candidate to be this Messiah, to be the Christ for us, right? And then in Jesus' ministry, he's teaching, he's healing, and he's proclaiming the gospel. And under it all is that Jesus, his desire for us is to repent and to believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus' life, his perfect life and his sacrifice are sufficient for us, right? And this really is revealed in the heart and the character that God has. Um, we see that Jesus is compassionate because he's brokenhearted over the sin of his people. He doesn't respond with apathy or anger, but Jesus is moved to action to suffer on our, on our account. Um, and that's God's grace for us. Um, and we see that Jesus does this, not just to remove sin from our lives, but also to raise us back to life with God. Um, and our faith, therefore, isn't just in the, the same reality around us, but in the, the perfect characteristics and the promises of God. And so I wanted to, to read one more verse from Matthew, um, just about the heart that God has um, and the heart that Jesus has towards us. Matthew 28 through 30, um, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in repenting from our sin and believing who Jesus is, we're no longer in charge of our own salvation. Jesus has granted that to us. Um, and so rather than our perfect righteousness, right, the yoke that we're taking in Jesus is that we would believe in his sufficiency and live by faith. And this provides us rest, y'all. Jesus has secured that rest for us. Um, and what we learn about Jesus' heart in these verses is that he's gentle and lowly. Gentle in a way that when he sees our sin, you know, he's moved to compassion. Lowly in the humility he had to die on a criminal's cross for our sake when he himself was perfect and blameless. Um, and so these are two characteristics of God you know, that we can be assured of in confidence that it's good to put our faith in him. A God who is gentle and lowly, who reaches towards us in the midst of our sin. That Jesus was born among us, even in all of our brokenness that he could be our redeemer and ultimately lead us to restoration with God. And I have um, two takeaway questions for us to really, really ponder. We'll wait for the plane. The plane speaks louder than I do. <laughs> um, first, as just this question, are we placing our faith in what is seen in the world around us? Are we placing it in the characters and the promises of God? Um, and I think it's so much easier to focus on the world around us because it is seen. And this is why, you know, so often we're, we're told to pray unceasingly. We have the Spirit of God in us, um, that we could experience this reality, that we can know who God is by experience in our lives, right? And we're placing our faith not just by what we see, but by what we know is true in the character of who God is. And then just that second question, what's stopping you from trusting the one who has never broken a promise? What we see in God's word is that he's faithful. And we see that pattern fulfilled in how God moves among his people. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, but this comes with a familiarity of God's word. Um, and if you don't know how God has moved among his people, I just encourage you to, to read the word. There's so much richness in seeing how God fulfills his promise and how God's design and plan has always been to redeem and restore his people. 
So God, let me just encourage us that we would put our faith and our trust in the characteristics and the promises of God. Um, I'll pray first before we close out today. Dear Lord, you are so good. Thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you that from the beginning, you had a design to redeem and restore us in the midst of our brokenness and imperfection. Lord, because you are compassionate. Lord, that at our sin, you um, aren't moved to anger or malice, but Lord, that you want to restore us back to you. Lord, you desire the best for us, and that's because of the love you have for us. Lord, I am so grateful. Just at your heart, Lord, I praise you for being gentle and lowly. Lord, that you died on a criminal's cross for our sake. And Lord, that we can celebrate that through this Easter series. Um, and Lord, just thank you for reaching down towards us and being our savior in the midst of all of that sin and brokenness. Your grace is just so beautiful and so perfect. Lord, I pray that we would put our faith and our confidence in who you are rather than the things we see in this world. Um, and Lord, that you could just encourage and strengthen us in that pursuit. Lord, you're so good and thank you for the rest you provide. It's in your name we pray. Amen.